0: Welcome to The Take on Commercial Real Estate, a podcast produced by the Commercial Association of Realtors Wisconsin. We explore issues and topics that impact the commercial real estate industry. We talk with the experts to gain insights and information that help business leaders and commercial real estate practitioners enhance their clients' success. Commercial real estate is not just about buildings and infrastructure, but about business, job creation, and economic development. This series is produced with support from the National Association of Realtors and Landmark Credit Union. I'm Tracy Johnson, your host for The Take on Commercial Real Estate. Today, we're joined by Wade Goodsell and Jim Page. Wade is the Chief Operating Officer at WMC, the Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, and Executive Director of the WMC Foundation. WMC is the state's business association working to make Wisconsin the best place in the nation to do business. Jim Page is the executive director and senior vice president for corporate expansion and attraction at M7, or Milwaukee 7, Regional Economic Development Group. M7 is the regional cooperative economic development platform for the seven counties of southeastern Wisconsin whose mission is to attract, retain, and grow diverse business talent. Wade, we're going to start with you today. Um... Talking about the economic development landscape, can you, can you tell us about the state of the Wisconsin economy in 2022? What is the condition and what are some of the drivers?
1: Tracy, good to be together and good to be back with friends in commercial real estate and back with friends in economic development, especially friends like Jim that have been recognized as a top 50 economic developer in North America. So Jim, congrats on the accolade again, my friend. The landscape, Tracy, and, and this, could, this could take a while. The landscape's challenging. Whether you look at the consumer price index, and that's up uh, 8.6% year over year in May. You look at the producer price index, that's up 10.8% in May year over year. You look at the Fed's actions of yesterday, raising rates by 75 basis points. You think about continued supply chain turbulence. You think about lack of workforce. You think about wages being up double digits, supply chain and transportation costs being up double digits. Raw materials being up double digits and healthcare costs. Don't forget about those. Those are also probably up double digits. So outside of that, it's an easy time to be in business. So the economy is fraught with peril. I think this is uh, I think we're seeing it in Q Q2. We saw it in Q1 and I'm not sure that things are going to be any better in Q3. So this is this is turbulent times.
0: But when it comes to the Wisconsin economy, we've got a diverse economic uh, landscape, manufacturing, you've got service industry. How do those different sectors fare in spite or in despite all of those challenges?
1: Good, good question. I think in, in Wisconsin and Jim, we spend a lot of time when we were out doing deals together selling the state. We're either number one or number two in the country in manufacturing per capita. Here we yo-yo back and forth with Indiana. About 20% of our state's economy is tied to manufacturing. So that is our economic super sector. I think the economy is going to be less turbulent here than in other places. But when you look at the the reality and the public policies of a midterm election, certainly that politics and policy are, are in the. They're on people's minds. November will be here before we know it. Or again, ground zero as a purple state, whether it's the gubernatorial election, the U.S. Senate election, the third congressional district. Very likely, the makeup of the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, the governor's match in the attorney general's race. These are major elections in Wisconsin, and the policies will have consequences. So I think there is an opportunity. If we can get the people right, I think we can get the policies right to create the right right landscape. Because how I look at how WMC works with great partners like MMAC and M7 and those boots on the ground doing economic development and doing deals. Our primary role is business climate. If we can get the right policies to create the right business climate, I think it gives Jim a pretty attractive product to sell. And I think Jim's one of the best in the industry in selling that product. So I think there is opportunity, certainly a lot of challenges, but there is opportunity. And I think comparatively to other places. Ma- our manufacturing backbone, the one thing when I talk with our manufacturing members, you know i'm I'm facetious talking about all the challenges. there still is demand, and almost regardless of industry, there' still is demand, and as I think as we can get the right public policies, we can continue to unlock that demand
0: and we'll come back to that uh, a little bit, but let's Jim, you work every day. To talking to businesses, talking to policymakers, talk a little bit about your role and what you're seeing when you talk to to businesses in your role at M7. Yeah,
2: Tracy. So thanks uh, for inviting me to participate. Um, so our role is pretty straightforward. It's to win. So what I mean uh, when I say that is, we are trying to attract corporate investment and jobs to this region. So, as Wade said, oftentimes it's around manufacturing. If you look at where the assets are in southeastern Wisconsin, um, it's almost always going to be a production type of discussion. So our job, you know if you think about big capital investments, large numbers of people and the companies that are making those decisions about where those things are placed, it's almost always going to be a competitive discussion. So we've got, as I said, terrific assets that are here, but there's any number of places around the United States, especially in the Midwest, that have somewhat similar assets. And so what we have to be able to do is to convince a company that this is the right location to make the investment. So oftentimes the work uh, that M7 does with our partners, it's frequently with companies that already have a significant presence here, um, but they're global companies. So they have options. They don't necessarily have to expand here in this region, Um, they could go other places in the US and sometimes they can go other places globally. We want to make sure that we're doing the absolute best that we can to compete uh, for those deals. So I'll use Milwaukee Tool as an example. So that's a company that M7 uh, and our partners have started working with in the late 2000s, sleepy legacy manufacturer. It probably had 275 employees in the late 2000s. Fast forward to today, new management team was put in place. These guys are pushing 4,000 employees in this region. And I believe it's just the beginning of the Milwaukee tool story in southeastern Wisconsin. And there's a lot of other companies that have a similar pedigree and they're growing in our region. So that's one category of companies that we work a lot with. the other category is attraction. So these are companies that have no presence in our region. Um, it's an open canvas as they think about where they're going to invest. And we wanna be in as many of those discussions as we possibly can. So you know, for years when M7 got started and we don't know this well, um, when we started in 05, it was really a discussion about expansion. So people looked at it and said, hey, take care of your own. We Before we go out and try to find somebody else, we ought to be making Ensure that we're creating the absolute best environment for the companies that are here, and and I uh, we fully still agree with that. But as I went along in this business, I realized that for some people who were telling us that that was code, it, it was code for we don't think you can compete. So you ought to think about getting your own guys to grow because you got no chance of attracting somebody new. Um, I, I I've never believed that. In uh, M7, we don't believe that. So we have, and, and history have shown that we can absolutely attract new companies this, to this region. We just have to be mindful of the kinds of assets that we have and making sure that as we're thinking about where, where, where do we pitch, who do we pitch, we're pitching companies that are going to see um, or see value in the assets that we have.
1: Jim, well, you, you've, been, you've been a rainmaker doing this for almost two decades. Have you started, I'll hear this quip within our membership, yeah business attractions important and and I want to ask you about the the dynamic a decade ago we were jobs 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 and now we're talking about capital investment but do you hear a pushback within your stakeholders on bring your own workers if you're going to come north across the border if you're going to relocate bring your own workforce because we already can't fi- can't find ours and I don't want you to cannibalize mine yeah how, how do you what do you hear and then how do you balance that
2: so when when M7 does a deal, um, and if it's an attraction deal, I know what I'm going to get in the week after it's announced. I'm going to get at least a few calls from manufacturers that are here, uh, talking or asking about. Hey, this is great, Jim. Congratulations. We're really happy that M7 was able to get that done. Hey, by the way, I got 45 jobs that are open with the exact kinds of jobs that y- you just recruited to come here for a competition. Um, and and that is a absolutely legitimate concern that some. Somebody would have. The, the way that we look at it is we think about this, we take a longer view of what we're really trying to do is become a talent destination in the upper Midwest. So how, you think about how people make decisions, individuals. There's a handful of cities in the United States where I'll, I'll call them places where people will go there without having a job. So they just want to live in that particular place and they'll take a chance that I'll go there and I'll, I, I feel good that I'll be able to find a job. But that's a very small, the, the huge number of regions are people go to those places because there's economic opportunity. So if we can continue to create more economic opportunity here, we have the ability to build ourselves into a talent destination and we're starting. I mean, we started to see momentum toward that. And I'm not saying that we're going to draw people from Florida, California, Texas, those kinds of things. But can we draw people from Iowa? Can we draw people from Illinois, Indiana, Michigan? Absolutely, we can. And the last thing I'll say about this is, at its heart, the biggest economic challenge we have in the state of Wisconsin is demographics. Agreed. I mean, that's our problem. Is so we have to do a better job of drawing more people to this region. I think that's really important.
0: So, so speaking of of demographics, I know both of you look at these numbers all the time. Can you discuss a little bit about what those demographics actually look like?
1: Yeah, thanks, Tracy. That's a, that's a softball in our line of work. So, th- <laughs> so thank you. Uh, last year, I did death by what felt like a thousand zooms. But in Q1, I did 80 different Zoom meetings with uh, plenty of our members, union leaders, academic leaders, government leaders, philanthropic leaders, chamber of commerce leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And I asked the same four questions. In the here and now of the Wisconsin economy, what are our strengths and weaknesses? And as you look to the middle of the next decade in 2035, what are our opportunities and our threats? So we incorporated that input into a report that we released last December our Wisconsin 2035 report. We think this is a a vision for the future of the state's economy as, as envisioned and drafted and led by the Wisconsin business community. And really the report, you could call it Workforce 2035 rather than Wisconsin 2035, because when I'm out on the road presenting on it, I close with, with one quote that I think summarizes exactly what you said, Jim. If we don't figure out the labor component, 2035 never comes for us. We make a lot of noise on talent attraction, the need for talent attraction. We make a lot of noise on apprenticeships, youth apprenticeships, dual enrollments, career counselors, STEM education, uh, ways to to retain and attract people. But Jim, you, you mentioned how do we become a hub for talent? One of the things that we're starting to tease out and one of the things, if the politics align in 2023 that I'd keep an eye on, I think there's a real opportunity for us to make meaningful reform. On our personal income tax here in the state, uh, a decade ago under Governor Walker, we we made a pretty catalytic transfer transformation of our corporate tax rate with the manufacturing and ag credit. Jim, think about how many times you've explained that to prospective employers. Their jaws hit the table, and they say, "Now run me through it again." And you are like, "Guys, it's as good as it sounds." And so, but as we think through the, this this convergence of workforce and tax rate, how can we use tax not just as a fiscal agent, because 90% of our companies in the state pay as pass-through entities, how can we use tax as a way to attract and retain people? The last thing I'll say on this, Tracy, is as we look at geeks like me look at the 2020 census data and we comb through it, Jim, you mentioned Florida and Texas and a few other states. We can't control the weather, but if you overlay uh, this the 2020 census data with economic growth, with population growth, You start to look at Tennessee, Florida, Texas, but South Dakota also jumps out. Those are four states without a personal income tax. So I think it's time in Wisconsin we take a serious look at how can we do something significant and something meaningful on our personal income tax to become a talent destination. I would just lower theirs to 4%. Indiana is a sliding scale, they're they're sub 3%. Even Illinois, this is the dirty secret that we don't talk about much. Even in Illinois, there's a uniformity clause in the Constitution. The tax rate's five and a half percent, regardless of income level. So at a certain tax rate, you know we bag on Illinois, and a lot of it's justified. You can pay less in personal income tax in Illinois than you can in Wisconsin. So as you so as you see Minnesota with a 9.8 percent top tax rate, I think we have a real chance to be additive in bringing people into the state if we can figure out the public policy, and I think that would really help with our population retention, but also growth okay? that 's
0: an interesting point, but do, do you look a little more closely at the age of the population or the skill level of the population because that of course contributes to you know the types of jobs that are able to fill and then you overlay that with with the introduction of technology and innovation, which was supercharged over uh, the last two years in closures with covid nineteen I mean the investment in robotics has been enormous. Uh so how do you respond to that?
2: Yeah. So it's a really interesting question Tracy. So a cu- and there's a couple of layers to it. So one is so back in the you know kind of the early 2010s, you know Wade and I would be traveling around and talking to companies, especially if you're talking to manufacturers and the thing that you would hear the most was you know we don't have welders or we don't have machinists, or we, we don't have CNC operators, machine tool operators. And I continue to hear some of that, but the discussion that I hear much more frequently now is I don't have enough electrical engineers. I don't have enough people building embedded systems. I don't have enough software developers. And so what we've started to see happen is so nobody, nobody sits still. So nobody sits there with a labor shortage if if you're running a company, well, well, I guess I just can't find the people that I need. What I'm finding more and more is that you hear less people complaining about it and you see more people doing something about it, specifically around automation. So what we're seeing is a dramatic shift that is happening within manufacturing. So if you think about the amount, you know, the volume uh, and the value of the goods that we produce in this region has never been higher. And I don't see that ending. I see that continuing to happen. But what I see changing in a dramatic way is the makeup of the workforce that delivers those particular goods. So You know, what's the pathway to a middle-class lifestyle? And what I mean by that, it's, you know, term it the American dream, the ability to own a home, the ability to go on vacation and take your family, the ability to put your kids through college if that's what they want to do, and the ability to retire at a reasonable age and and be able to enjoy your life. What's the pathway to that? In in southeastern Wisconsin, that pathway has often had, at least from the manufacturing side, the ability to work on a production floor and that's our history and 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 some of what we are and what defines us as a place but Increasingly, that pathway is going to be a little bit more narrow and more difficult if that's the way that you're going. The pathway that's widening, the pathway that there's much more opportunity is in those white collar jobs, the technical jobs within manufacturing. So as a result, I think we have to start asking some pretty serious questions. And we have in this region, but I think we've got to continue asking them around how do we prepare our workforce to be ready for the jobs that are coming online now? And I'll use Milwaukee Tool again as an example. Hundreds of job openings uh, that they have in southeastern Wisconsin, almost every last one of them requires some sort of an advanced technical degree. So those jobs are ready. You know, these are people that will start at $80,000, $90,000 a year, you know, talk about a pathway to a middle-class lifestyle and better Um that's the way that we find it. And on down the line, Rockwell, Northwestern Mutual, Pfizer, GE Healthcare, you look at all of those companies and the kinds of people that they're hiring for, that, that's the sweet spot. So I think for us, if we want to continue to have this discussion about how do we draw people, real easy, we need to be able to generate the kinds of people that can be qualified for those types of positions.
1: Tracy, two, two data points back to the 2020, 2020 census. Um, and this might be more more directly answering your question. So as you compare the 2020 census data to the 2010 census data, across the decade, the U.S. population grew by 7.4%. In Wisconsin, our population only grew by 3.6%. If you look at our 72 counties across the state, and thankfully the county we're sitting in today, this seven-county region, every one of these seven counties experienced population growth. But if you're a statewide organization such as ours and you look at all 72 counties, 21 of the counties across the state didn't experience not even average growth. They lost people as you compare 2010 to 2020. So we have 21 counties in the state that are shrinking. So the demographics are, are quite damning. The second thing to what you mentioned, Jim, so you're, you're based in Milwaukee. Tracy, you're Milwaukee-based. Um, Professionally, I'm based in Madison. So maybe kind of a Madison perspective, and something I've heard over the last decade, and in our line of work, it's really frustrating. Um, we we have we have this conversation about the old economy and the new economy. Have you heard this in politics? Sure. You know, so so the old economy is it's dark, dirty, dumb, and dangerous. And Jim, I know you sing this song with me too. No, manufacturing is high tech, high wage, high skill, just like you alluded to. And then friends on the political left will say, we need to invest in the 21st century te- economy of technology, and as the state's manufacturing group, we say no, no, no. It's not an old economy versus a new economy; it's a convergence of the economy. Technology is in everything. You need to be you need to have technical aptitude because those low skill, low wage jobs—they've been automated. If you could automate them, you would have over the last decade. Yep. Is that your view of it, Jim? Absolutely.
2: We we have seen an acceleration of this. I mean, this, automation has been around for a long period of time, but we have started to see a real acceleration of it in the last probably three years. And the other thing that we've started to see is automation that's away from manufacturing. So automation and hospitality, automation in in personal services. I mean, all of that, and it goes to the point I mentioned earlier, nobody sits still. They don't just sit there and wait for you to deliver um, the workforce to them. They have to figure out new ways to do that. So technology has been an important component of that. And that really is going to be, if you sort of think about then, what's our future? How do we find a pathway to prosperity? We have to be able to deliver people who have the skill sets for what that new world looks
0: like. Well, and we talked about the policy. We talk about the people. What are some of the other factors that ensure for you, Jim, that these companies that are looking to either expand here or locate here, what are the other factors that they're looking at? Is it power grid? Is it infrastructure? Talk a little bit about that.
2: Sure. It's all the above, frankly. So, one of the things that we do is when we go into these meetings, and I learned this lesson the hard way a long time ago. I would go into an initial meeting with a company and I would spend all kinds of time talking about all the great things in southeastern Wisconsin, and I'd prattle on for 20 minutes. And then I'd realize at the end of that process that I probably, probably 90% of what I told them was completely irrelevant to the decision that they were about to make. So, If I talk for more than 30 seconds in an initial meeting with a company, that's too long. I spend most of my time asking questions, trying to draw out what are the key things for that company that are going to be um, important and instrumental as to how they make a decision. And, And again, it goes right back to one thing. I'm not interested in checking boxes. I'm not interested in going back to our stakeholders and telling them about all the meetings I had. I have to demonstrate wins. And so the way that I do that is I try to understand what gets me to yes, and then those are the things that we talk about. So a a few different factors that certainly fall into that, you hit on some of them. So energy is an important part of it. Um, Logistics are important. Transportation is important. Labor is important. But the one that is almost always really important, and it's not intuitive to people, and you'll get it right away, it's real estate. Um, I I can talk about all kinds of great business climate assets that Wade is building with WMC, working with their partners at the state. Uh, I can talk about a number of different things that we're doing uh, to try to affect the broader business climate. And they may love all that, but if I I don't have a site, if I don't have a building that works, if they tell me, look, I need 400,000 square feet, it's got to have 28 foot clear, I got to have 10 ton cranes. If I can't deliver that site to them, I'm out so we spend a ton of time trying to understand what's the what what is the real estate play that's going to be there and real estate is really helpful in my world too in terms of organizing our work because if if, if I can find, let's say, three candidate locations that make sense for that company, then I can start to organize my labor analytics around that. Then I can start to organize any number of other things around the real estate. It's a way to sort of figure out who you need to talk to and then to present information back to the company that they're going to find
0: interesting. Because every municipality has its own challenges and, and opportunities too, especially when you're looking for zoning or, or construction, which these days can be hard to come by. So what is what is the time frame usually like from the time that you're talking to a company and when they need to locate?
2: So that has been a significant change that we have seen in the last probably two to three years. Um, it used to be, I'll call it kind of a long lead time. So we would start talking to a company and you know, it, it might be a project that lasts two years between when we started working with them and when they made a final location decision. What we're seeing now is that has condensed. So there is so much market opportunity globally at the moment. Now, you know, Wade hit on some things, some headwinds, I think, that we're bumping up against, and we'll see how that plays into these decisions here in the coming months. But we are seeing companies that they'll come to us, and you, you've kind of got six weeks um, to show them, all right, this is how this is going to work because they want to shovel in the ground in a very specific timeline because they've got to, if, if, if they can't meet the demand that their customers have, then their competitors will take, we'll take market share from them. So you have to be able to demonstrate like now, I have the ability to run now. So I can get you the site. I can make you confident that the labor is going to be there that you need. Um, I can help you work through the logistics. I can show you everything else that you need in a very short period of time. And they have to be confident that the information they're getting from us is correct. So it, it's become very much a short-term
1: game. Jim, let me ask you this. This is my perception from my my time doing it. And let me see if this holds true. By the time you're hearing about the potential activity that you're hearing about the project, whether it's a attraction, expansion, etc. You've already checked some of the boxes. You've already there was a game being played before we even knew there was a game being played. So the right to the right to work, the business costs, you've probably checked some of the big boxes. And then it really gets into as you're alluding to its speed. It's ease, but then also tied to that, it's the relationship. When I need when I need something, after we cut the ribbon and after we drop the press release, do I trust you, Jim, that you're still going to take my call and help shepherd me through this process once we've cut the ribbon?
2: Yeah, re- we talk about this to our, our new people all the time. If you want a friend, be a friend. And what I mean by that is you need to be able to build relationships with people that that result in their being trust so that the things that you're telling them that they're confident in, that you've gotten to know them enough um, and they've got enough confidence in you that you can deliver not only what gets you to that press conference, as you said, but afterward. So we, I, I probably in any given month, it depends on the month, but anywhere between probably 10 to 25% of my time is spent on deals that we closed a long time ago because we've become the face of the region to that particular company. So they would come to us with something that I can't necessarily help them with, but I know who can help them. And so we will get them off to then and connect them in the right way efficiently to whoever can help, because you're right. Once they're here, that's great. Um, we, we love it. We're very happy about it. But I don't kid myself. Just because somebody makes a decision to be here doesn't mean they're here forever. Or And it also doesn't necessarily mean they will optimize and maximize what they have here. So if, if they don't feel like taken care of, if they don't feel like they can be successful here, it doesn't mean they'll pick up and move. It just means that you're not going to get that next next expansion. They're going to go somewhere else within their global footprint to do it.
1: I'll give you a perfect example of that. I was on a call this week with an executive in Ohio, part of a portfolio company. They want to grow in Northwest Wisconsin, rural Northwest Wisconsin, approaching the Twin Cities border. They were trying to move work from Mississippi up to this part of the state. 30 open jobs, couldn't find the people, and now work is slowly trickling from this part of Northwestern Wisconsin down to the plant in Mississippi. So you got to maximize it.
0: So we talk a lot about the successes and the success begets the success. I mean, you've been in this position for, for a long time. You've built up this, this reputation. When a company that you're working with makes the final decision to not locate in Wisconsin, um, and we, we just, we've had some over time that have been well publicized. What is that? What is that factor that you just can't get across the finish line?
2: Well, the first thing I'll tell you, Tracy, is it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, I, I sometimes tell people, so this isn't the Olympics. Um, if you get the silver medal, you don't get to stand at the podium. Um, there's, it is a winner take all. Uh, by definition is how some of this works. Um, so we think about this in sort of two factors. One is the things that I can control and the things that I can't control. So in the category of things that I can control, you can be damn sure I'm going to control every last one of them. So we spend a ton of time making sure and thinking about, are we doing everything that we possibly can? Are we bringing the right partners to the table? Are we resourcing this correctly? Are we truly understanding what's going to drive that particular location decision. And it is completely unacceptable to me, to our funders, to our employees, if we lose and we make a judgment that we didn't handle that part of it correctly. So we spend a lot of time working on it. That's the first category. The second category are things I can't control. So I can't necessarily control what our competitors did I can't change things about our geography. So if, for example, they've got a key customer that my competitor is a little bit closer to them geographically than I am, I'm going to try to do everything that I can to mitigate it, but I don't necessarily control that. Um, So that's one example. But when we lose... Have we lost because of things that we've controlled? Um, yes, that has happened from time to time that we just missed something. But much more frequently when we lose, it's because there's something else about it that it just, from the business case perspective, it made more sense for them to spend time, to to, to really opt for the competitive location, sure. you know, not for us.
0: But they're always going to walk away and say, maybe this is a site for another location. I mean, we saw Amazon when they did that big, the bid for, Ah, uh, their h q two yeah uh, ah they came to Wisconsin. Um, we didn't get the headquarters, but we sure got a lot of warehouses, and they had all that information ready to go, yeah, um, so when it comes to the future, what are you seeing as new potential sectors? Is it data centers? Is it uh, continued manufacturing? Not only what are those sectors, but what does the real estate look like? What is the what did the the built environment look like?
2: Sure. So I we have a saying it's called you don't get the economy you want, you get the economy you deserve. So what we mean when we say that is, I guess I could spend a ton of time. Trying to chase the 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 flavor of the day, I could spend a lot of time um, looking at I'll call them hot sectors that nationally or even internationally um, are on a growth trajectory. But if I don't have the assets to support that, I'm just going to lose. That 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 is exactly how that's going to work because I can't tell the story that a competing region can that has those assets. So for us, as we think about where the, where things are headed. We believe manufacturing is actually positioned perfectly. And Wade is going to know this in spades from the work that he does at WMC at the state level. So I, I don't have to invent a story on manufacturing. I got 150 years of history of it. Um, it continues to be, you know, depending on who you, who you talk to, uh, you know, one fifth of, of the statewide economy, we have the employment that's there. We have the tax structure that supports it. We have any number of different assets that make a ton of sense to support manufacturing. So I don't see that changing Tracy, And you know, Wade, wait, I'd be curious to see, hear what you think. It doesn't mean that we aren't going to chase other things where we think that we have a good, um, as a good story to tell, but I'm, Any sort of economic development strategy in the state of Wisconsin that doesn't start with manufacturing, I'm not sure that's a
1: strategy. Completely agreed. Uh, Tracy, I'm reminded what you said to Jim about M7, success begets success. You know, we we have WMC, we have 3,800 members across the state. 50, 55% of those members are manufacturers. And for another 45% of our membership, we never hear any pushback on all the work we do on behalf of our manufacturing members. Because I think in this state, there's a wide understanding. If you don't create anything, you don't grow anything, you don't mine anything, where is your value? And in this state, we do a lot of creating and we do a lot of growing. And so we have a lot of economic value that really supports and drives the supply chain and the state economy. So I I share your vision on that, Jim.
2: One thing, too, I think that's important here is geopolitics. So as you sort of think about supply chain disruption that has happened in the last couple of years, you sort of think about any number of different sectors, that make a very critical component to the things that, that we produce here in this region. A lot of that in the past has come from places in the world where we don't necessarily have terrific relationships anymore. There's a lot of tension, for example, with the relationship that we have with China. So where is that evolving? Where is that going? It's way above my pay grade to know that. But the one thing that I do hear a lot from manufacturers is this, this desire to bring some things a little bit closer to home. And it's really about risk. It's about not getting into a situation where if there's disruption geopolitically in the relationship, that they don't have the ability then to get the products that they need to satisfy, um, to, make, to make their goods that satisfy their customers. So you think about that from a manufacturing standpoint, you know, who's going to benefit from that in the United States more than Wisconsin?
1: And, and Tracy, Nobody. You've, you've seen this. Think about a few years ago, we were talking about the Amazonification of everything. Just in time, you know, one hour delivery, two day delivery, our prime accounts. The supply chain coming out of COVID the last two years has entirely pivoted. Just get me the doggone product. Yeah. It's not just in time. It's just get me the product. So I think that, that near shoring, I think people are going to get as near to the shores as possible. And and I have a lot of pessimism. Uh, what, and Tracy, you've heard me on this in spades with our elected officials in the state, our elected officials in D.C., but as we zoom out and we think to geopolitical, we think about the opportunity, I think if we can get the right people and the right policies, we have an opportunity for an incredible American manufacturing moment. Because if you think about three leading drivers of manufacturing, it's energy, it's people, and it's tax, it's cost to do in business. And on energy, if, if we're willing to, rather than President, candidate Biden called it, uh, we need to transition and go across the bridge from fossil fuels to renewable. Well, what we're seeing right now is we can't burn that bridge before we go across it. Our energy policy, we have the ability to be energy independent. We saw it two or three years ago. Tax policy, if we took a play from the Wisconsin playbook and enacted a federal manufacturing and agricultural production activity credit, rather than talking about higher corporate tax rates in D.C., what can we do to incentivize growth? And then third and finally, on the people component, you know, there's no more of a chamber of commerce issue than immigration. We need more people. We need them here legally, whether low-skill, mid-skill, high-skill. And the U.S. is still a bastion of opportunity across the globe. So although we have, you know, headwinds is a great term, Jim, and maybe even uh, diminishes the the dire straits of the economic situation right now, as we zoom out, we have a huge opportunity. As you look at global turmoil and the geopolitical factors, we can own our own destiny in energy, tax, and people. We just need to do it.
2: You know, on the immigration topic, what a missed opportunity It has been so politicized and and as a result, we can't have a discussion about it that the ability for people to come here, people who want to come to this country, they see opportunity and you think about the history of all of the immigration waves that have come here. Think about Milwaukee, you know the Germans that came here, the Polish that came here. All, all the ways that they remade the manufacturing Jim, that's landscape. that's have so
1: much local government. They couldn't get along. <laughs> that's
2: right. But I think it, we we have to figure that out because it, it, by turning off the immigration spigot, we really deny ourselves of, of new ideas, of talent, and just the ability to continue to
1: grow our workforce um, in, in ways that are, are really critical. And it shouldn't be partisan. We need more people. We need them here legally. You know, most of us can agree to agree to that on the back of a cocktail napkin.
0: So all of you talked about the, uh, you know, the the policies, the things that we have going for us, the challenges that we all face. And I, I have all kinds of questions about what what changed over COVID or what what's changed over the last couple of years. Something tells me that these answers have been baked in. Um. Starting 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we are a manufacturing base. We always focus on the people. Uh, Infrastructure is vitally important. Uh, This is really about the long game. This is always, always about the long game. And I think that's what's really wonderful about having organizations like uh, M7 or the WMC really driving the charge in trying to attract talent, attract business, um, attract workforce.
1: Thank you. But think about your members, Tracy. They had the vision 20 years ago to get the 94 corridor ready. They saw the opportunity. I'm hearing the same thing from your members uh, as we now think about Rock County and Dane County. Those are are boom markets set set to boom. If you look at Hudson and the tail of two states between Wisconsin and Minnesota, Mm -hmm. I think if we zoom out 20 years, we're going to see what we saw in, in Pleasant Prairie and Kenosha over the last 10 years. So your members are a huge part of that, looking at opportunities, identifying those opportunities, And investing because what Jim said, think how many times you've heard on deals. Well, looks good. Dirt doesn't work. You know, if the real estate doesn't work, forget about the deal. Yeah.
0: Well, what you said about Minneapolis or or Minnesota is really interesting. Kind of that Hudson area. We've been seeing huge growth in interest from folks who do real estate in Minnesota looking to do more and more business here. And I, I know you represent Southeast Wisconsin, but I'm sure you have an incredible pulse about things that are going on throughout the state. What are some of the, the selling points of, of outs outside the region?
2: So to me, this goes back to one of the topics that we covered earlier, which is, you know, what's all this about? I mean, there's a lot of complexity in some of the things that we're discussing, but one way that you can make it pretty simple is it's about people. So we've talked about the demographics, some of the challenges that we're up against. All of this comes down to our ability to attract and keep people in this region and in this state so we talked a little bit about one of the buckets which is financial reasons so tax policy um, a number of different things that make it advantageous for individuals to be here but the other thing i think we have to look at is quality of life and quality of place so as we think about you know i I didn't grow up here i grew up in another place i've chosen to live my life here um, and raise my kids here because I love it here. I, I find the quality of life here to be really, really high. But we have to continue to evaluate that and be honest about it in terms of where are some areas that we need to improve? How do we build on the strengths that we have? Because if we expect to uh, to to change some of the demographics, we have to be a place where we're welcoming and a place where people feel like they can live their best life. And it's not about weather. There's a lot. You, you sure about It's, um, as I mentioned before, I I don't see this as a game of trying to compete with Texas and California and Florida. I see this as a game of trying to compete with Minnesota and Iowa and Illinois and other places in the Midwest. And they are cold too. Um, so we don't have to deal with the weather there, but can we do things in a way that we can run just a little bit faster, have a little bit better of a quality of life, have a better value proposition for, for people and for companies than some of our competitors. So this is a part of this that we haven't really thought a lot about in Southeastern Wisconsin. We haven't thought a lot about, all right we we think we understand the quality of life here but how does the 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 woman who comes here who graduated from the University of Illinois with an electrical engineering degree and she looks at this versus other places that she's considering taking jobs how does she see it how does she feel about it how does how, and that's really an important thing i think that we need to start to address
0: so one of the things too w- that we didn't talk too much about was remote work now and you know maybe that is one thing that's a little bit different than than years ago but I, i've seen a lot of data that suggested if people were going to go to remote work i mean these wheels were already in motion it's a it's a business decision for a lot of companies so how do you become that place where people w- want to live in wisconsin and work for a company in illinois or work for a company in minnesota
2: a really good question and so we we have been spending a little bit of time recently trying to figure some of this out so that's it's a discussion that can cut both ways so it's a discussion in which yeah you could be the beneficiary so i had actually had a beer last night with a guy who um he had a job out in silicon valley which he still has and as soon as his company went virtual he moved to wisconsin so, they told him, look, you guys can go, we're not coming back. You can work from wherever you want. So, that's a good example of something that benefits us. But on the other side, if there are people that are here today that are tied to a particular company here and they have the ability to go somewhere else and live, okay. now we're, we're, there's a vulnerability that's there. So, I think for us, we have to, it all goes back to quality of place and quality of life. If you have a place that people want to be, So these are people with options. They can choose to be in one place versus another. They choose your place because they like what you have. They like your assets. They feel comfortable there. They feel welcome there. They can live their best life. I think for us, that's really the key thing to make sure that we have more benefits from remote work than we do liabilities.
1: Jim, when you talk about double-edged sword, it's to me, I look at it as from a community lens and then also an employer lens an employer lens, I'm thinking, oh goodness, I may lose some of my top technical or IT talent out to the West Coast for West Coast wages. A community, it's okay, Tracy, you can work for Google and you still can live in Mequon. Your cost of living is going to be better. Your quality of life is going to be better. you still have proximity to family. So from a community, it's still a win. But from an employer, it puts poaching on those wages that much more. I I think it's just going to continue to drive inflation. So it's, you know the the only the only thing harder than having a remote work policy in an office I think is not having a remote work We've policy in an office because you'll see your people flee out the door.
0: Yeah, and building that certainty. So as we close up here, you know, is there anything that you would ask our audience in commercial real estate, those who are listening from the business community? Uh, what is the one thing you want us to remember about this conversation about? Being open for business, site selection, drawing companies to Wisconsin. We'll start with you, Wade.
1: Relationships matter. People matter. In real estate, it's all about relationships. In economic development and public policy, it's all about relationships. So continue to build those relationships, not just through organizations like CAR, but through your local municipalities, through good groups like MMAC, M7, we think we're pretty good at WMC, but then also get engaged with WEDC, build those relationships so that when game day comes you have the opportunity to work as a team because you've seen this Jim consultants when they come to town or corporate executives if i walk into the meeting and say hey jim nice to meet you we're not a unified front we're people that just met in the parking lot you know they can tell part of why you've won so much is it's it's repetition you and todd you and jenny in Racine County you guys have done a lot of deals together and you've gone through some losses but you've had a lot of wins and it's relationships so that that would be my one takeaway it's about people. It's about relationships. Yeah,
0: I love that. And up and down the chain, um, Big time. Even though so much of this is, is so local focused. I mean, Jim was talking about the local municipalities. If there's a a zoning ordinance or an ordinance that can't be overcome, you're gonna you're gonna have issues. So you know, and I know that's what Jim and the M7 do to get in front of that. But state level, local level, regional level, and, it, all and it's so e- very important. It's even
1: Tracy to have the ability to have a relationship. You know, you can be 80 cents on the dollar, not a dollar on the dollar, but it's speed and ease. So if you can ask the council to have a special session to convene mm-hmm. to get the project approved, rather than waiting six weeks, if you wait six weeks, the game's passing you by. Someone's passing in the left lane and you're out of the deal. So having those relationships that you can, you can call in a favor when you need it, you can move at the pace of business. And government doesn't naturally do that. We need advocates to push that. And I think your members are, are a really good example of that.
0: No, well, that's great. How about you, Jim?
2: Sure. So we we place uh, really high value on the relationships that we have. Um, WEDC, it's a terrific and very close working relationship. Um, counties, municipalities, all, all of the folks that... I mean, you have to have that cohesive team to, to put a deal together. And um, I'm really grateful that in, in Southeastern Wisconsin, we've got that. So, you know, the one thing I would tell your audience is we are in a really interesting point in the history of this region. And we're coming to this point from a position of strength. So if you look at per capita income, for example, and you trace it all the way back to the late 1960s, you look at the top 50 regions in the United States, Southeastern Wisconsin has been somewhere between 15 to 19 that entire time. So there is a lot of prosperity that is here. So it's not a story that places like Detroit and Cleveland and others get to tell because they have watched their rankings um, uh, fall dramatically during that period of time. We have been very consistent in terms of over time being a prosperous place. But okay, what's the future look like? And no, nothing that we've done in the past necessarily assures that we'll be successful in the future. So if we, want to, if we want to continue to have the wealth that's here, if we want to continue to have the prosperity, we need to think about what generates that. And it really goes right back to people. It goes back to our ability to attract and to retain the kinds of people that can work in the jobs that we expect to be here in the coming five to ten years. And And – just recognize that there are consequences if we can't because if we can't do that the companies that have all of those job openings it's not that they don't like it here it's not that they don't have roots here it's not that they're abandoning us it's just they will have to look at other ways to find those people and if they can't get them here they open offices in other places they do production in other places and we will slowly watch over time we will dip in those rankings. We will start to move down in terms of per capita income, which then is a threat to everything else that we're trying to do. So I think it's really important for people to pay attention to to sort of where we are and where we're going. That's
0: great. And one final question, and it requires a one-word answer. Describe the economic development landscape in Wisconsin for 22, 23. One word. Can we do this?
1: Uh, I'll give you a word for 22 and a word for 23. A word for 22 would be underutilized. A word for 23 would be opportunity.
2: I'm going to say optimistic. Um, I I think we got just so many good things here to build on. And I'm really optimistic and hopeful uh, that we'll continue to be a place that has a lot of prosperity and really prosperity that is shared throughout the community.
0: Well, and that optimism... And that opportunity doesn't just happen. It it happens because we have great people that are committed and dedicated like you and your organizations. Uh, and everyone in the business community that's really pulling in the same direction. So this was very helpful, I think, to help demonstrate and, and share some of the challenges and opportunities that are before us as we all are pulling in the same direction. We all want the same things here. We want a great place to live. We want a great place to do business. We want prosperity and opportunity. Thank you to our guests, Wade Goodsell from WMC, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, and Jim Page from Milwaukee 7. I am Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors Wisconsin. This is The Take on Commercial Real Estate with support from the National Association of Realtors and Landmark Credit Union. This is produced by the Commercial Association of Realtors Wisconsin. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. For more information, visit carw.com.